Section twenty of the Book of Ghosts. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Carolyn. The Book of Ghosts by Sabine Beringold. Section twenty. Mustafa. Part one. One. Among the many hangers-on at the Hotel de l'Europe at Luxor, donkey-boys, porters, guides, antiquity-dealers, was one, a young man named Mustafa, who proved a general favourite. I spent three winters at Luxor, partly for my health, partly for pleasure, mainly to make artistic studies, as I am by profession a painter so i came to know mustapha fairly well in three stages during those three winters when i first made his acquaintance he was in the transition condition from boyhood to manhood he had an intelligent face with bright eyes a skin soft as brown silk with a velvety hue on it his features were regular and if his face was a little too round to quite satisfy an english artistic eye yet this was a peculiarity to which one soon became accustomed he was unflaggingly good-natured and obliging a mongrel no doubt he was arab and native egyptian blood were mingled in his veins but the result was happy he combined the patience and gentleness of the child of mizraim with the energy and pluck of the son of the desert mustapha had been a donkey-boy but had risen a stage higher and looked as the object of his supreme ambition to become some day a dragon-man and blaze like one of these gilded beetles in lace and chains rings and weapons to become a dragon-man one of the most obsequious of men till engaged one of the veriest tyrants when engaged to what higher could an egyptian boy aspire to become a dragon-man means to go in broadcloth and with gold chains when his fellows are half-naked, to lounge and twist the moustache when his kinsfolk are toiling under the water-buckets, to be able to extort backsheesh from all the tradesmen to whom he can introduce a master, to do nothing himself and make others work for him, to be able to look to purchase two, three, even four wives when his father contented himself with one, to soar out of the region of native virtues into that of foreign vices to be superior to all instilled prejudices against spirits and wine that is the ideal set before young egypt through contact with the english and the american tourist we all liked mustapha no one had a bad word to say of him some pious individuals rejoiced to see that he had broken with the koran as if this were a first step towards taking up with the bible a free-thinking professor was glad to find that mustapha had emancipated himself from some of those shackles which religion places on august divine humanity and that by getting drunk he gave pledge that he had risen into a sphere of pure emancipation which eventuates in ideal perfection as i made my studies i engaged mustapha to carry my easel and canvas or a camp-stool i was glad to have him as a study to make him stand by a wall or sit on a pillar that was prostrate as artistic exigencies required he was always ready to accompany me 
there was an understanding between us that when a drove of tourists came to luxor he might leave me for the day to pick up what he could then from the natural prey but i found him not always keen to be off duty to me though he could get more from the occasional visitor than from me he was above the ravenous appetite for backsheesh which consumed his fellows he who has much to do with the native egyptian will have discovered that there are in him a fund of kindliness and a treasure of good qualities he is delighted to be treated with humanity pleased to be noticed and ready to repay attention with touching gratitude he is by no means as rapacious for backsheesh as the passing traveller supposes he is shrewd to distinguish between man and man like this one and will do anything for him unrewarded and will do naught for another for any bribe the egyptian is now in a transitional state if it be quite true that the touch of england is restoring life to his crippled limbs and the voice of england bidding him rise up and walk there are occasions on which association with englishmen is a disadvantage to him such an instance is that of poor good mustapha it was not my place to caution mustapha against the pernicious influences to which he was subjected and to speak plainly i did not know what line to adopt on what ground to take my stand if i did he was breaking with the old life and taking up with what was new retaining of the old only what was bad in it and acquiring of the new none of its good parts civilization european civilization is excellent but cannot be swallowed at a gulp nor does it wholly suit the oriental digestion that which impelled mustapha still further in his cause was the attitude assumed towards him by his own relatives and the natives of his own village they were strict moslems and they regarded him as one on the highway to becoming a renegade they treated him with mistrust showed him aversion and loaded him with reproaches mustapha had a high spirit and he resented rebuke let his fellows grumble and objurgate said he they would cringe to him when he became a dragon man with his pockets stuffed with piastres there was in our hotel the second winter a young fellow of the name of jameson a man with plenty of money superficial good nature little intellect very conceited and egoistic and this fellow was mustapha's evil genius it was jameson's delight to encourage mustapha in drinking and gambling time hung heavy on his hands he cared nothing for hieroglyphs scenery bored him antiquities art had no charm for him natural history presented to him no attraction and the only amusement level with his mental faculties was that of hoaxing natives or breaking down their religious prejudices matters were in this condition as regarded mustapha when an incident occurred during my second winter at luxor that completely altered the tenor of mustapha's life one night a fire broke out in the nearest village it originated in a mud hovel belonging to a fella his wife had spilled some oil on the hearth and the flames leaping up had caught the low thatch which immediately burst into a blaze 
a wind was blowing from the direction of the arabian desert and it carried the flames and ignited the thatch before it on other roofs the conflagration spread and the whole village was menaced with destruction the greatest excitement and alarm prevailed the inhabitants lost their heads men ran about rescuing from their hovels their only treasures old sardine tins and empty marmalade pots women wailed children sobbed no one made any attempt to stay the fire and above all were heard the screams of the woman whose incaution had caused the mischief and who was being beaten unmercifully by her husband the few english in the hotel came on the scene and with their instinctive energy and system set to work to organize a corpse and subdue the flames the women and girls who were rescued from the menaced hovels or plucked out of those already on fire were in many cases unveiled and so it came to pass that mustapha who under english direction was a blessed and most vigorous in his efforts to stop the conflagration met his fate in the shape of the daughter of ibrahim the farrier by the light of the flames he saw her and at once resolved to make that fair girl his wife no reasonable obstacle intervened so thought mustapha he had amassed a sufficient sum to entitle him to buy a wife and set up a household of his own a house consists of four mud walls and a low thatch and housekeeping in an egyptian house is as elementary and economical as the domestic architecture the maintenance of a wife and family is not costly after the first outlay which consists in indemnifying the father for the expense to which he has been put in rearing a daughter the ceremony of courting is also elementary and the addresses of the suitor are not paid to the bride but to her father and not in person by the candidate but by an intermediary mustapha negotiated with a friend a fellow hanger-on at the hotel to open proceedings with the farrier he was to represent to the worthy man that the suitor entertained the most ardent admiration for the virtues of ibrahim personally that he was inspired with but one ambition which was alliance with so distinguished a family as his he was to assure the father of the damsel that mustapha undertook to proclaim through upper and lower egypt in the ears of egyptians arabs and europeans that ibrahim was the most remarkable man that ever existed for solidity of judgment excellence of parts uprightness of dealing nobility of sentiment strictness and observance of the precepts of the koran and finally mustapha was anxious to indemnify this same paragon of genius and virtue for his condescension in having cared to breed and clothe and feed for several years a certain girl his daughter if mustapha might have that daughter as his wife not that he cared for the daughter in herself but as a means whereby he might have the honour of entering into alliance with one so distinguished and so esteemed of allah as ibrahim the farrier to the infinite surprise of the intermediary and to the no less surprise and mortification of the suitor mustapha was refused he was a bad Muslim. Ibrahim would have no alliance with one who had turned his back on the Prophet and drunk bottled beer. 
Till this moment Mustafa had not realized how great was the alienation between his fellows and himself, what a barrier he had set up between himself and the men of his own blood. The refusal of his suit struck the young man to the quick. He had known and played with the farrier's daughter in childhood till she had come of age to veil her face. Now that he had seen her in ripe charms, his heart was deeply stirred and engaged. He entered into himself, and going to the mosque, he there made the solemn vow that if he ever touched wine, ale, or spirits again, he would cut his throat, and he sent word to Ibrahim that he had done so, and begged that he would not dispose of his daughter, and finally reject him, till he had seen how that he, who had turned in thought and manner of life from the Prophet, would return with firm resolution to the right way. 2. From this time Mustafa changed his conduct. He was obliging and attentive as before, ready to exert himself to do for me what I wanted, ready also to extort money from the ordinary tourist for doing nothing, to go with me and carry my tools when I went forth painting, and to joke and laugh with Jameson. But unless he were unavoidably detained, he said his prayers five times daily in the mosque, and no inducement whatever could make him touch anything save sherbet, milk, or water. Mustafa had no easy time of it. The strict Mohammedans mistrusted this sudden conversion, and believed that he was playing a part. Ibrahim gave him no encouragement. His relatives maintained their reserve and stiffness toward him. His companions, moreover, who were in their transitional age, and those who had completely shaken off all faith in Allah and trust in the Prophet, and respect for the Koran, were incensed at his desertion. He was ridiculed, insulted. He was waylaid and beaten. The young fellows mimicked him, the elders scoffed at him. Jameson took his change to heart, and laid himself out to bring him out of his pot of scruples. "'Mustafa ain't any sport at all now,' said he. "'I'm hanged if he has another para from me.' He offered him bribes and gold, he united with the others in ridicule, he turned his back on him, and refused to employ him. Nothing availed. Mustafa was respectful, courteous, obliging as before, but he had returned, he said, to the faith and rule of life in which he had been brought up, and he would never again leave it. "'I have sworn,' said he, "'that if I do I will cut my own throat.' I had been perhaps negligent in cautioning the young fellow the first winter that I knew him against the harm likely to be done to him by taking up with European habits contrary to his law and the feelings and prejudices of his people. Now, however, I had no hesitation in expressing to him the satisfaction I felt at the courageous and determined manner in which he had broken with acquired habits that could do him no good. For one thing, we were now better acquaintances, and I felt that as one who had known him for some more than a few months in the winter, I had a good right to speak. And again, it is always easier or pleasanter to praise than to reprimand. One day, when sketching, I cut my pencil with a pruning-knife I happened to have in my pocket. My proper knife of many blades had been left behind by misadventure. 
Mustafa noticed the knife and admired it, and asked if it had cost a great sum. "'Not at all,' I answered. "'I did not even buy it. It was given to me. I ordered some flower-seeds from a seedsman, and when he sent me the consignment, he included this knife in a case as a present. It is not worth more than a shilling in England.' He turned it about with looks of admiration. "'It is just the sort that would suit me,' he said. "'I know your other knife with many blades. It is very fine, but it is too small. I do not want it to cut pencils. It has other things in it, a hook for taking stones from a horse's hoof, a pair of tweezers for removing hairs. I do not want such, but a knife such as this with such a curve is just the thing then you shall have it said i you are welcome it was for rough work only that i brought the knife to egypt with me i finished a painting that winter that gave me real satisfaction it was of the great court of the temple of luxor by evening light with the last red glare of the sun over the distant desert hills and the eastern sky above a purple depth what colours i used the intensest on my palette and yet fell short of the effect the picture was in the academy was well hung abominably represented in one of the illustrated guides to the galleries as a blotch by some sort of photographic process on gelatine my picture sold which concerned me most of all and not only did it sell at a respectable figure but it also brought me two or three orders for egyptian pictures so many english and american go up the nile and carry away with them pleasant reminiscences of the land of the pharaohs that when in england they are fain to buy pictures which shall remind them of scenes in that land i returned to my hotel at luxor in november to spend there a third winter the fellaheen about there saluted me as a friend with an affectionate delight which i am quite certain was not assumed as they got nothing out of me save kindly salutations i had the egyptian fever on me which when once acquired is not to be shaken off an enthusiasm for everything egyptian the antiquities the history of the pharaohs the very desert the brown nile the desolate hill ranges the ever-blue sky the marvellous colorations at rise and set of sun and last but not least the prosperity of the poor peasants i am quite certain that the very warmest welcome accorded to me was from mustapha and almost the first words he said to me on my meeting him again were i have been very good i say my prayers i drink no wine and ibrahim will give me his daughter in the second yomada what you call january not before mustapha no sir he says i must be tried for one whole year and he is right then soon after christmas you will be happy i have got a house and made it ready yes after christmas there will be one very happy man one very very happy man in egypt and that will be your humble servant mustapha End of section 20